Here's what God's word says. And you were dead in your trespasses. Does anybody remember when they were dead in their trespasses? Just say amen. Let me just start over. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So reads God's holy and inerrant and precious word. You may be seated. Some may be wondering, why do you say the same thing every time? Because it's inerrant. It's without error. God's word is true. I believe every single word of it, as many of you do as well. It's precious and it's life-giving. And God's going to do something significant in this place today. Some of you have known Christ for many years are going to be encouraged and some of you don't know Christ, are going to get a chance to hear the gospel. Maybe yet again, but God is going to do something significant because his word never, ever returns void. Well, the prayer request came in, and it wasn't in this church, another church, I want to be clear. But it read like this. Please pray for my adult daughter, Emily, that the Lord would place a person in her life that will share the hope that we have in Jesus. And by God's amazing grace, that's exactly what happened. A co-worker of Emily's noticed that Emily had been crying. This led to that co-worker having compassion and then having a conversation, and the, the, the conversation ensued between the two of them. As it turns out, Emily was struggling. Her husband had passed away 18 months prior to a rare blood disease. Emily, who was previously a stay-at-home mom before her husband's passing, was now working full-time to support the family, including their two young boys under the age of five. This co-worker invited Emily into her home, or better said, into her life. This led to the co-worker inviting Emily to join her at the women's Bible study, to which she agreed. The co-worker eagerly awaited for Emily. You know that is when you invite someone to church and they tell you they're going to meet you here and you're like, I got someone coming. I met this person and you're going to love this person. She stood by the door of the church's entrance and then there she was, Emily, along with her two, bo with, along with her two boys. The teaching couldn't have been better. It was almost like God hand-selected it and said, here you go, Emily. Here's the, the sermon title. Amazing grace for those who are hurting. It couldn't have been a more appropriate message. And then the facilitator uh, broke the women into groups so that they can dig deeper into what was spoken, now, what I would call a traditional Bible study. We actually do that here. But Emily has now realized something as she's starting to understand the culture a little bit, that the church didn't have child care. So she let her co-worker know that she was probably going to take off, and the co-worker insisted and says, no, stay. I'm going to help you. So Emily agreed to stay. But the boys were a bit rambunctious, and the co-worker provided verbal support to Emily, saying, it's okay. You know, boys are going to be boys. 
trying to lighten the load of Emily. And then it happened. One of the ladies in the study pulled Emily aside and said, your kids are a handful. It must have been difficult for you to concentrate. It wasn't meant to be a mean comment. If anything, it was a passing comment. It was a comment that was not meant to offend. It was just an unwise comment. It lacked discernment. It was void of the gospel. Yet Emily, feeling like an unfit mother, could not, because she couldn't keep her children quiet, she never did return to that study. Emily was dealing with something that many of you know. It's called mom guilt. Mom guilt. And unfortunately, she wasn't equipped to escape its stronghold. My prayer today on this Lord's Day, is that anyone that struggles with guilt will leave here equipped by the power of the gospel. Today my sermon title is Mom Guilt. God drove a nail through it. Mom Guilt. God drove a nail through it. Hey, Lauren Whitman says this. She says, Mom Guilt is a hyper-awareness of the should of parenting and fixates on ways you see yourself failing. That's the way that she would describe mom guilt. But I have good news for some of you, uh, men or women or anybody in this room that struggles with guilt. Here it is. Here's the good news, and we find it in God's word, and I read it to you. Then he set it aside. Guilt, shame, guilt, shame, shame, guilt, by nailing it to the cross. That's what God did with it. Today, if you walked in and you're feeling shameful about something or you're feeling guilt as a mother, good news. It's been nailed to the cross. So the message that I just got done reading to you, those verses, that's clear. God has nailed your guilt to the cross. So if God has nailed your guilt to the cross, then here's a, here's a tip for you. Here's a tip for me. Here's something that's hard to do. Then go and leave it there. Don't take it with you. If it's been nailed there, then leave it up there. Let God take it. Leave it on the cross. You are free, according to God's word, according to what I just got done reading to you, you are free to stop punishing yourself for the guilt or shame that God dealt with on the cross. God wants all of those who struggle with guilt to walk in the freedom of the gospel, the victory of the gospel, because according to God's word, he is in fact victorious. God has won the battle. We are a people who fight from victory. We're not trying to get the victory. We are victors, but yet we struggle. Mom, guilt is real. Guilt is real. I like what Paul Tripp says. He says, recognizing what you are unable to do is essential to good parenting. Any parents in the room, grandparents, let me say it again, recognizing what you were unable to do is essential to good parenting. Those are wise words from Paul Tripp. So beloved, here is something to consider. Here is something to embrace. Embrace your imperfections, not because of you, but because of him. Embrace your imperfections, recognize your shortcomings while pointing your kids and pointing yourself to the one who has no shortcomings and who happens to be perfect, 
which is King Jesus. We can all do that when we're in Christ. All of us can, and that's what the Lord would have for us on this Lord's Day, as Scripture tells us. Beloved, if there's anyone here that suffers from guilt, God is not calling you to a task without giving you what you need to do that task. Let me say that again. God's not calling to a task task where he's not equipping you to handle that task. He never sends you without going with you. So not only does he give you what you need, he goes with you in the hard places. He goes with you in the mess. I cannot tell you how many pastor friends I know and those that have children, and they'll say, you know, my my oldest boy, Tom, he's not walking with Jesus. I just, I look back on those times, and I was so busy doing this, that, and the other, I just can't help but think, if I would have spent more time, he would be a Christian. Like dad guilt. Dad guilt. And I can go on and on and on, and I think many of you could identify uh, with that. Hey, praise God that we can't save our children. Only God can. That it is God who draws men and women unto himself, that we can trust that God is who he says that he is, and he is mighty to save and wants to save. We can trust God with our unbelieving children. We can trust God with our guilt and our shame. He is worthy to be praised. He is who he says that he is. So how can we be sure of such things? Again, going back to that verse that I read in Colossians 2.14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul is letting us know something. Paul, who is the writer of this book, is letting us know that those who put their faith in Christ will have their sins removed from his sight that we're no longer judged according to our sins. There's no longer a barrier between God and man, that we have full access. We can go to him with everything. And some would say, I I did know that. Remember what we learned last week. It's not what we know, it's what we do with what we know. It's not what we know, it's what we do with what we know. When we're equipped, there's a responsibility to do something with the equipping. If you've been equipped, now we have to do something. It's been entrusted to us. What's been entrusted to us? The glorious good news of the gospel. How we parent, how we can be free from the things that hold us back. What would the enemy want to see for those of us that are struggling with guilt? What would he like to see? He'd like to see you paralyzed, crippled, not being able to do anything. You can't function. And what does the Lord want for us? Well, he wants us to be victorious to know that, yes, we go through hard times, and there are times where we don't understand some of the things the Lord does, but he can be trusted as we live in this broken and fallen world that he's going to stand with us as he goes with us into the mess. So he's letting all of us know that are in Christ, those who put their faith in Christ, that their sins have been removed from his sight. There's no longer a barrier because sometimes when we're going through something significant, uh, including guilt or shame, you'll notice that the enemy will do the best he can to keep you from praying. It's like there's this barrier that stands between you two. It shouldn't be there, but it is. And he's saying, let's lay that down because of the gospel. Because God has nailed it to the cross. 
God has nailed it to the cross. The forgiveness not only means freedom from eternal punishment of sin, but it also means that we can have a living relationship with God now, like right now. This isn't just about that we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ and we will have eternal life. That is ultimate for those of us who die to know that we will have what? We'll be in heaven with the Lord. We'll be rejoicing in heaven because of what Christ has done. But we can have joy. We can walk in victory and confidence and overcome such things even right now. God wants us to have it. Now, have what? Joy in the midst of it. Joy when everything seems to be going sideways. Joy when we have guilt. We can walk in the fullness and the freedom of the gospel no longer in bondage to shame or guilt. Remember, condemnation is of the devil. Of the devil. Conviction is of the Lord. It's a good thing to come under conviction. It's purely satanic when it's condemnation. What would the enemy like to see happen? That's a great way to deal with your shame or consider it. And if you know God's word, you would say, probably not what I'm currently doing if you're on the wrong side of it. What does God want to see happen? Give it to him. So I want to talk about a couple of things that we do when we're feeling guilty. Moms, you'll really identify with this. There's a couple of things. I want us to break free from our own self-evaluations, and I want to help us with to be free from our false standards. Let me give you the self-evaluation, like this one from Laura Whitman again. She says in her book, I am failing as a mom. That's what she's, she's toying with in her mind. And she's also got this in her mind. I am not good enough. This is how it looks like in real life. I was not able to produce enough milk to breastfeed. My baby isn't getting what's best for him, and I think it's my fault. The lady at church said, if I don't use these oils, this is what's going to happen to me. <laughs> if I don't drink Plexus, this is what's going to happen to me, or whatever the things are. And we get just really goofy on some things. And I'm not saying not taking care of your health. What I'm saying, though, is our mind starts to wonder. If I would have done this, I wonder if this would have happened. If I would have done this, what about this? What about this, right? So here's the point. It's, not, it's, it's, it's a woman that, in this particular context, is saying, I can't even produce milk for my son. I feel guilty about that. Or what about free from fault standards? There are two categories of standards when it comes to measuring our success as moms, as men, just as in, in whatever circumstance you want to plug in, any context you want to plug in. Those we create ourselves and those imposed on us. Again, here's some fault standards. Those we create ourselves and those that are imposed upon us. Sometimes we generate our own standards. We create an image of an ideal mom or grandma based upon whom we want or wish to be as a mother. <laughs> Has that happened to you? You know, you see that person on TV and they're cooking up a storm and their house is clean and, and they've even got time to put some uh, nice heels on for Papa when he comes home. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> or whatever it, is, whatever it is that comes to your mind. It's just not reality. 
But there are some that can do, seem to do a little bit more than others, and there are some that seem more gifted in certain ways than others, and all those things can be true. But my point would be, as we create a list or we create in our mind, this is what an ideal mom looks like. And it's based upon whom we want to be as a mother. And it's not always a bad thing, but oftentimes it leads to bad thoughts or guilt. Maybe your ideal mom does not permit her kids to watch TV, but instead keeps them busy reading. You ever know those moms? Oh, I never put the television on for my kid. They just read. As a matter of fact, uh, Earl is on his 14th encyclopedia. Ask him anything. He knows. And there's some of you that say, you know, listen, if I don't get 30 minutes, I'm going to kill these children. That would be worse. But we have this ideal, what a, what a good mom is, based upon standards that we put upon ourselves. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to have us consider and understand and apply what God's Word says, not what the world says. So whatever your ideal mom looks like, and I'm sure you have that in your head, we often create her with good intentions. It's not bad, but oftentimes it leads to bad. When we take our guilt and we nail it to the cross, as the verse tells us, it releases us from something. Something happens to us. When we believe that and we obey that, when we do that, it releases us from negativity of comparing ourselves to other moms. Now we're going to the cross where it's level at the foot of a bloodstained cross. We must nail whatever our false measuring stick is to the cross. We all have a false measuring stick. And the Lord would tell us today, based upon the word, yeah, nail that sucker to the cross. Because that ain't helping you to be like Jesus. That ain't helping you to be effective. That's not helping you to be the messengers that I want you to be out there. It ain't helping you, let's get rid of it. I'm going to help you break free of these things. We all struggle, but there's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us. The, selfish, the selfless sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross represents the pinnacle of God's unconditional love for those who rightly merit his anger. We deserve God's wrath, but God sent Jesus. Yes, we deserve the wrath of God. Yes, we deserve hell, but God sends us Jesus. You see, there's victory in that. And we got to keep going back to the cross. And I know for some of you, you, go, I, you keep repeating verses I'm familiar with. You keep going back to the gospel. That's exactly the point. To go back to the gospel, to, to sit in the gospel, to just bask in the, in the gospel and just sit there and say, this is for me. That we never get tired of the gospel. We keep going back to the gospel. Oh, how we need the gospel to say, this is for me. Oh, how I need this. We've staked our eternal life on the guilt-lifting, joy-fueling faith that only Christ is enough to reconcile us to God. It breaks us free of our guilt and our shame. The guilt is removed. Joy steps in and says, oh, I have hope. I have Gloria Furman said that 
when the shadow of my own mommy guilt creeps up on me in dark moments, these thoughts remind me of God's grace. That in the wake of a mom fail, I need to bank on the blood-bought promises of God. We keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again, said sometimes in different ways, but it keeps going back to the cross. How do we do that? What does that look like? Contextually, what, what do I need to do? I'm hearing you, Pastor, but, but what's next? We must draw on the strength of the one who has promised us lots of things. Let me give you a few. He's promised us in Philippians 1.6 that he would finish the good work that he started in me. Some of you said, man, I started off so strong, but now I'm wobbly. Hey, welcome to life. We wobble often. It's normal Christianity. There's no such thing as Instagram Christianity. That's not real. We all wobble. And here's something you need to hear. If you didn't grab this last week, and sometimes we fall down. Hey, and it's okay. Here's where it's not okay. When you stay down. I don't see people that say, you know, my goal is to get knocked down and stay down, never get back up. We want to get back up. We don't know how sometimes. And that's the grace of the gospel. That's the beauty of what we're teaching here today, that we can get back up because he's in the middle of it with us. He's right beside us. He is near. Remember what I taught you last week, that the number one command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. Remember that? Do not be anxious. Same word, right? Don't be fearful. Number one command in all the Bible, don't be anxious. I wonder why it's there. Because we get anxious and we're tired. We feel such things. We are people. We're mere man. David expressed his heart for us in great detail in Psalm 42. This is a man pouring out his heart because he's broken. And so are we. That's the beauty of the gospel. You see, it takes broken people. Who are those? It's everyone. And it reconciles us to God, putting us back together, making us, putting us in right standing so that we can stand in front of the the Lord on the day of judgment and he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because as, as God looks at you, you know what he sees? Jesus. You've been covered in the blood of the Lamb. I see you without any imperfections. And you say, but I'm certainly imperfect. You are imperfect, but because of the blood of the Lamb, you are perfect. He sees you as he sees Jesus, his only begotten Son. That's pretty powerful. If that's true, that's powerful, and it is true. It's in Scripture. We need to grab some of that. And say, that's really for me, isn't it? And here's what we have a propensity to do. We think about verses such like this. Listen, I've been in the thicket of it. You heard my testimony last week. There are times where I could quote that voice verse for many of you and forget it for myself. So again, remember what I said? It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. So we need to take these things and say, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to pray this over my life. This will be my fighter verse because I need it. Yeah, go back to the ultimate basic, something that wasn't so basic, when Jesus Christ was slaughtered for our iniquities, and he set the captives free. Praise God for Jesus. 
Again, how can we do such things? Well, Romans 8.25 says that I can receive comfort from the one who promised that nothing would ever be able to separate me from him. Or what about Isaiah 41.10? I must depend on the one who promised he would be my God, that he promised to strengthen me, he promised to help me and uphold me with his righteous right hand. If you want someone to help you and lift you up, how much more so do you want this verse spoke over you where the Lord will hold up your, his righteous right hand and he will look after you? Don't you want some of that? Hey, I would even say this. You need it. Don't just want it. I need it. Oh, God, how I need thee. I need you to do this for me, God. I'm in the thicket of it. Would you lift up my hand, oh, God? Would you teach me such things so I could teach it to other people? Isn't it amazing what you go through that you, you have no idea you're going through something and you start talking about it and people go, I was going through that too. I was going through that too. I had my phone ring this morning at 7 a.m. in the morning. It's a businessman. He called me at 7 a.m. He lives in another state, another time zone. And I told Louise, I said, this guy's in trouble. And I called him back. He wept like a baby. His heart was broken and shattered. And what he told me is between me and him. Oh, how we needed this. Oh, how we needed Psalm 42. Oh, how we needed on someone just to love on him and hold up his righteous right hand. And I took him to the word. And I was able to help him. Not because of me. Because of what was in me. I simply pointed him to Christ. Let me tell you what this man said to me. Charlie? Thank you. I love you. He's never told me that in his whole life. The gospel just levels everything. This is the power of these verses that I share with you here today. So it's with that that we need to fight against the legalistic approach to motherhood with the strength that only God provides. Fight against a legalistic approach. We have to guard our hearts against believing that today is my chance to do the, be the best mom ever in order to be at peace with my guilty conscience tonight. No, none of those things. We have to remember we have an advocate who put himself forward as a sacrifice for our sin so we have no need to vindicate ourselves according to Romans 3. 24. You see, in our effort to serve God faithfully, in motherhood, in fatherhood, whatever application, we must refuse to entertain the notion that my work or your work can be done through the strength of others. We've got to just get rid of that and go back to this. It can only happen by God's grace, God's mercy, God's strength. That's how it happens. Remember, the chief aim, what are we called to do? Well, the chief aim of man is to love God, glorify him, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're called to do, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. Make much of him. That's what we do. You see, anything that makes you need God is a blessing. Do you feel needy today? God's word says, if you need him, it's a blessing. It's God's grace to you. 
It's doing something for you. It's doing something in you. You see, what God does in the midst of these types of things, including guilt, is He's moving us from a place of independence to a place of dependence. But yet, the world teaches us we want to be independent. We want to do our own thing. And God is here saying, no, let me have you break free of the independence, and I want you to be dependent upon me. Why? Because you can't do it on your own. It's an exercise in futility. He doesn't want you to do that because you're going to go in the wrong direction, and you're going to be banging your head up against the concrete. That's why. He said, you can't do it. You can't do it. And he's saying, but God can, and God can, and God will. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Look at the kindness of the Lord on display here. He's saying, we can believe this. We, we need to believe with a genuine heart. And as we believe such things and stand upon such things and obey such things, it will be a perspective shift, it'll be a perspective shifting reminder that for those of us who are experiencing inadequacy, for those of us that are in the process of, a, we're in a crisis right now, we're fearful, there's uncertainty, we can understand that God has nailed all of those things to the cross. Like, let's start over. I'm feeling this way, this is what's going on. Son, daughter, nail it to the cross. Let's start over. God knows everything that is going on in the world. He knows everything that lies ahead for your personal life. He's orchestrating things in your own life to fulfill His eternal, redemptive purposes, and He's doing so to glorify Himself. It is who He is. He's all good, He's all knowing, and He's all powerful. He is, in fact, all three of those things. Paul Tripp, again, I will quote, says, if you're a sinner, it's kind of funny, if you're a sinner, let's just laugh, ha ha, if you're a sinner, that'd be all of us, right? Now let's read the rest of it. If you're a sinner uh, living in a fallen world, uh, it's impossible for you to look back upon a legacy of perfect choices. Therefore, it's vital that we equip ourselves with biblical approaches for dealing with guilt when it Yes and amen to that. Here's something that I think is important. Moms, it's Mother's Day, so let me speak to you. I know we live in a world that's fascinated by greatness. God isn't calling you to greatness. He never has. He never will. He's calling you to faithfulness. There's a big difference. Gratefulness will never be achieved. There's only one great. Faithfulness is what you're called to do. When you're feeling that urge to be great, take it to the cross. Faithfulness. That's what you're called to do. Faithful. Faithful. So how do we drive a nail through our guilt? Well, Psalm 18, 19 says, remember that God has rescued you. 
Therefore, he fights for you. He delights in you. That's all in Psalm 18, 19. You know that he fights for you, that he delights in you? Have you ever had wanted someone to delight in you? God delights in you. But to all who receive him, according to John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, why is that important besides the obvious? Because he's telling you, amongst a lot of things in that verse, that you are my son, you are my daughter, if you're in Christ. The creator and sustainer of the universe says you belong to me. So he's saying, cling to me when you're struggling with guilt, and then lean into me as a father, as you would a father. That's who I am. Beloved, we all struggle with guilt in our lives. It weighs all of us down. It saps us of our joy and energy and robs us of the peace that God desires for us. Yet the message of Colossians 2.14 shines like a beacon of hope because it's a testimony of the power of Christ's sacrifice to free us from the chains of guilt. Guilt arises from our failures. It's from our mistakes from unhealthy comparisons with others, from unrealistic expectations that we place on, place on ourselves. We, we feel that we're not doing enough. We feel that we're not good enough. But the good news is simply this, that we don't have to be good enough because God's grace is sufficient for all. So why do we need to try to be good enough when God's grace is sufficient enough? It was in that act of ultimate love that Christ paved the way for us to overcome our guilt back on the cross. To overcome guilt, we must first confess our sins, yes, repent, confess your sins. We've got to seek God's forgiveness. We must approach this throne of grace with confidence when we're saved, knowing that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's a way that's often overlooked. How can we do such things? How can we remove the guilt and shame? Well, ultimately, the Lord does it. It's been nailed to the cross. However, there needs to be a supportive community of believers that surround you. Find those people who will encourage you. Find those who will hold you accountable. And I'm not talking about sin sniffers that always point out your sin. They never talk about their sin. I'm talking about a community of believers that come together and we're all in this thing together. We're all needy recipients of God's grace. There's not a perfect one amongst us. We do that in the context of the local church. We're never meant to bear the, building, bear the burden of guilt alone. The gospel is a community project. There should be no self-sovereigns among us. And if you feel like you're having a good week and, and, you're, and you feel like you're free from sin this week, which you're not, but if you feel that way, then be an encourager. There's nothing wrong with pointing out someone's sin. But if that's all you're known for, guess what? Uh, you're kind of, you're like the perfect one. No, you're not. There's no such thing. So we want to encourage but we do need to point out sin. It's important. But we also want to encourage, right? We want to do what God would have for us. 
So let us together focus on God's grace and love, not always on our failures. Remember that it's God who redeems us. It's God who transforms us. It's God who does a massive work in us to accomplish His good. It's about Him. Remember, it's His unmerited favor that is our key to overcoming guilt. Unmerited favor, that's what grace is. Unmerited favor, we don't get what we deserve. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, we deserve eternal punishment, but God gives us grace. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's what grace is. You no longer get what you deserve. You're given God's grace. And shouldn't we do that with one another? You want to look like Christ? You want to smell like Christ? Show grace, but not cheap grace. Not cheap grace. Point it out, but do it together. Do it in the local church. Do it in Bible study. Do it at prayer night. Confess sin to one another. Watch what God will do for you. I love what God's doing in this church. He's promised us, promised us so many things. I've pointed many of those things out tonight, today. So let us cling to the cross where our guilt was nailed and walk forward with the knowledge that we are loved, forgiven, and set free. Again, I'm not talking about uh, cheap grace. I'm talking about repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus Christ, and only he alone can sin. And only, only he alone can save, not sin. But when, this, when, when that transformation takes place, let's be a people who are real. And real people, listen, are needy people. They just are. They're just needy. You see, the gospel addresses our guilt. We've sinned against God's law, and God demands a penalty, according to Hebrews 2.2. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ has paid that penalty. The gospel also takes care of our shame in both senses. With the judicial problem solved, our relationship with God and with others can be restored and our subjective sense of remorse can be replaced by joy and gratitude. This can happen when we take our sins and nail them to the cross and trust the redemptive work of Christ. God has done everything we need. There is nothing to add. Someone once said this, to add to Jesus is to subtract from Jesus. He has done it all. Now get out of the way. Amen. The fact that God no longer regards us as guilty should help us to see we shouldn't be guilty. We're no longer guilty. It no longer, I don't consider your sin like I used to. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, repent and continue to repent. But after you repent, get out of the way and get on to the next thing God would have you. Don't let the enemy keep you bound down because of guilt and shame. Take it to the cross. How do you do it? Lord, I believe that verse where you said that you took my shame and you nailed it to the cross. Now I want to get to work, Lord. Would you help me? Yes, he will help you. He will help you. 
But we need to walk in the freedom that God has given to us, that God has purchased for us. We have to stop thinking that we need to do certain things to live up to standards that are false, to act a certain way, be a certain way, do certain things. Look, all that stuff is just, it's just trivial. It's, it's just not real. You're going to always be less than. And that's okay. God says, bring it to me. I'm going to reconcile everything. You're going to be okay. Listen, you're not called to run someone else's race. Yes, there's certain things we all do. We need the Great Commission, and there's these things that we're in agreement on. That's what God's Word says. We need to love God, love people, make disciples. And to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All these things are true. We need to do that. But God is going to uniquely equip us to do uniquely, this unique gifting is going to be given to you, and, and our gifting is going to look different. So we don't want to be running someone else's race because it's going to put weights on you. You're not going to be effective. You need to run the race that God has for you. So how do we do that? Well, we draw near to God. And we say, God, I want to run the race that you would have for me. And I know right now there's a hindrance, there's a barrier between you and I. I know that there is. I can feel, I just know, God, things aren't right. I'm discerning something. So I want to nail that to the cross so that I can be able. I'm, I want to be your, your, your person, your, 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 your son, your daughter. I want to run the race that you've called for me. I want to be effective. I don't want to be in bondage anymore. You can do that today. At the end of this service, people will be, during this service, we're going to have people up here ready to pray for you. Maybe that's something you pray for. Maybe it's a son or daughter that's in bondage. Maybe you're guilty and you want to get it off your chest. Maybe you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior today. Today's that day. Maybe you want to be, you look at it and you go, listen, I know it's about obedience it's about faithfulness, and some of you have never been baptized before, but you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, you need to be obedient. God's Word says you've got to, be, you've got to obey. Believer's baptism. Go public with your faith. Show to the world you're not ashamed of the gospel. Rick just did that last week. So maybe that's what we're going to be talking about today as I'm talking to you as individuals. So I don't know what landed with you this morning, but I know with the people that are watching online, the people in the room. There's probably a lot of things that landed. Now the question would be, what are you going to do with what you heard? How can you take what you've heard and do something about it? What is that for you? I have to ask myself the same question because I'm me. What will it be? How is this message going to change you? Give it to the Lord. Ask him to help you. Never come and say, I want to hear a good sermon. Say, I want to come and I want to obey God. And let's do it together. Hey, you're not alone. We're in this together. You are not alone. God has you here for a reason. Let's stick with God's word. Let's do what it says. Church, yesterday I was on my way to 
was getting ready to go have dinner with Larry and Liz, dear friends of ours, the Mellums, and I'll close with this. I, I, I went to find my cell phone, and if I don't have my cell phone, bad things happen. I start losing my salvation really quick. <laughs> Couldn't find it, looked in the usual places, the toilet, the, no, I'm kidding. I couldn't find it. So finally I did what a good man does. Honey, where is it? She looks on the thing and she says, well, I see it driving down the west side of Corona. Yeah. My granddaughter grabbed it. Thought she'd play some games on it. Forgot to tell me. I didn't go as planned. Sometimes stuff happens. Big deal. My cell phone was down for two hours. Stuff happens. Sometimes you want to go this way and then you go that way. Well, if you want to get straight, say, God, help me to get back on track. Stuff happens. God will help you. Let's get back on track.